This is episode number 314. How to turn cancer diagnosis into something that positively impacts the world with Martha Kyler. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Outs podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to all of our listeners to our upcoming event in Austin, Texas on September 23rd called Survive to Thrive, Face Your Fears. What this is, is a three-day experience where you'll get a chance to hear stories from speakers from all over the world, as well as be a part of breakout sessions that are intended to help you identify the origins of your fears, as well as ways that you can turn them into strengths. If you'd like to know more details regarding this upcoming experience, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the latest details regarding this upcoming event. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Martha, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being a part of it. And thank you for coming on here and sharing your journey as it relates to this topic of cancer. And I I won't, I'm not going to label it as the C word, but I'll just label it as, as the word itself. Um, I figured that the best way that maybe we can even start this conversation is going to a time before you were diagnosed with it. And that is uh, something that, you know, for me, I, I haven't had it in my life, but I can't say that I don't think about it. I do think about it from time to time. I get plenty of reminders from my friends and family as far as wearing sunscreen and uh, I'm not the best at it, if I'm being honest. I truly fail. I truly fail at that task. But, you know, I, I've been very curious to hear from people who have been diagnosed with it or who have gone through forms of treatment. How was it viewed before you had it compared to how was it viewed afterwards? So in your case, before you had cancer, what did you think of it? as a concept? Were you ever afraid of getting it? Were there other feelings and emotions that came up when the topic was at the part of the discussion? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because cancer was actually never a big part of my life. And it was never something that I worried about for myself. I had no family history of cancer except for lung cancer. And those family members were heavy smokers for many, many years. So that wasn't too much of a surprise, but I had no family history of cancer and in my case, specifically breast cancer until literally a week before I got my breast cancer diagnosis, my aunt also got a breast cancer diagnosis. Mm. And so before this, 
it was really not on my docket. I was never concerned about it. I just, I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought I'm young, I'm healthy. Cancer is something I care about, but am I worried about it? No. And I don't think that anyone should live their life worrying about it. But I had this really unhealthy mentality of being untouchable and thinking Mm -hmm. that something like cancer, (laughs) yeah, it couldn't possibly happen to someone like me who's young and healthy and has no real family history of it. So it never even occurred to me that I could have breast cancer. Even when I realized I had a lump, I would have assumed that it was due to a million other reasons before I thought, hmm, this actually might be breast cancer. So cancer was never on my radar. It was never a personal concern for me. Um, And surprise, here I am on the other side of a whole cancer diagnosis. Um, So yeah, my immunity was not what I thought it was. What was it like when you first had that lump? I wasn't worried about it. In fact, my husband found it, God bless him. And he brought it to my attention and I didn't really think anything of it. It took me months to finally make a doctor's appointment to get it checked out because I had exclusively pumped breast milk um, for over a year of my son's life. Mm-hmm. And breasts are just kind of weird. So I thought, well, maybe it's a clogged milk duct or it's just my body changing because I'm a mother now. So I, I really assumed that it was a million other reasons and I was not expecting it to be cancer at all. Mm-hmm. What I, I've been very curious because I've had a couple people who have had different forms of cancer and I actually had an uncle who passed away from a form of cancer. I don't remember the specifics of it, but I've been yeah. very curious as far as because A, there's so many different types of it. What causes breast cancer to begin with? Do you know? It's so individualized and I will never know what caused my breast cancer. And that's one of the things that keeps me up at night sometimes is why did this happen? Like, did I physically do something that I wasn't aware of to bring this on? Or is it just really bad luck? Was it meant to happen to me because I needed to come out the other end of it with some higher purpose? But yeah, especially physically, I have no idea what caused my cancer. I know that it was um, hormone positive. So progesterone and um, wow, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank estrogen Mm -hmm. positive. So there was something about my hormones that fed little nuggets to this cancer to allow it to grow. But as far as did I do anything lifestyle wise to cause it? I will never really know the answer to that which is a little bit disturbing, but at the same time, it stops me from overanalyzing every little choice I make about my body because you can always worry about, well, should I, should I eat this candy or will the sugar in that candy do something to my body that I regret? And it's like, you just can't live your life like that, overanalyzing the what ifs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can only control so much. I mean, you and I yeah. literally had that prime example prior to starting this, right? With the camera and everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I find the same exact thing. There are certain situations where, yes, I could try and figure out what had caused the particular situation. But at the same time, if anything, I feel like most of the time that's probably impossible to do so. 
because yeah. we've probably made thousands of decisions leading up to that point to begin with. Yes. And I'm critical of myself in so many aspects of my life that being critical or hard on myself about getting a cancer diagnosis, it's like, I need to accept and, and remind myself that I didn't do anything to myself to bring this about because that is unfair blame to place. And Mm -hmm. it makes me wrestle with the concept of just kind of accepting that sometimes things happen in life that you can't control and you can't necessarily justify or Mm. understand. Was it hard to accept when you officially were diagnosed with having it? Yes, it was honestly surreal. And I think it was surreal for my support network too, because it was so unexpected that until I was in the trenches of like chemotherapy treatment and doctor's appointments every other day, that's when it felt real. And it was like, okay, I guess something is actually happening in my body. But when it was just talk and doctor's appointments, it still didn't feel like it was real. It just felt like maybe this story I was telling for some horrible reason. So yeah, it wasn't real until I had the physical ramifications of the diagnosis. How did they even introduce it? How did they tell you the fact that you have cancer? Do they just tell you off the bat, like, hey, you have breast cancer? Or do they use other terminology? Because it, it seems like, and I'm only assuming here because, you know, I haven't personally experienced anything like that. But it seems that because it's such a um, big thing that a person can go through in their lives, I've always mm-hmm. been curious, how do they even introduce that in the doctor's office to begin with? Well, when I first went to the doctor's office, it was an OBGYN, just annual exam, and I brought it to their attention. And they kind of had a similar mindset to myself of, oh, breasts are weird. We'll get it checked out, but we're not concerned. You're young, you're healthy, you have no family history. But they, they thought it would be a good idea to follow up and send me in for a mammogram, even though I'm only, you know, at that time I was only 31 years old. And when I went to the mammogram, I went into it thinking, okay, this I'll come out of this kind of laughing, saying, oh, haha, it was something so silly and benign. But when I had the mammogram and the nurses kind of changed their tone in the room, that's when I thought, well, they're seeing something. I don't know what they're seeing and I don't want to jump to conclusions, but I noticed the tone and the energy has gotten more serious and quiet. So that's when a red flag winds up for me of, hmm, they see something that I shouldn't laugh about at the end. Mm -hmm. So we did the mammogram and then immediately after that, like five minutes later, we did an ultrasound. And the ultrasound is when I really realized they are concerned. They see something that is dangerous and that I should be worried about. Um, the ultrasound technicians are not allowed to verbalize what they see. However, if you kind of listen in to what they're saying out loud, you can kind of draw some inferences. For example, they kept on going in my armpit and saying, okay, we've got those two over here and this one over here. Let's, let's get a better angle on this one over here. So that showed me, hmm, they're taking extra time to look at some lymph nodes which were not on my radar as a concern at all. So once that clearly became an area of interest to them, that's when I realized, okay, I might need to brace myself to hear something that I was not expecting to hear. And in the process of bracing myself, I still wasn't really ready to hear the words like you have breast cancer. 
but I was bracing myself to be told something that was negative. After they finished up the ultrasound and they kind of escorted me out to have a follow-up, they told me that they wanted me to get a biopsy done to actually get the physical proof of whatever that lump was. And the nurse who sat down with me was very honest and very blunt. And I appreciated that because she said, we are worried about this lump. It looks like breast cancer. She said, we don't know for certain until we actually do a biopsy and have the, the physical proof. But she said, you know, I, I hate to have to tell you this, but it looks like breast cancer. And that was when really the whole script was flipped on its head. And I was like, okay, let's rework everything I was expecting to hear because now this is the mm. reality. Um, so yeah, that's how they kind of delivered that information to me which was interesting and definitely caught me off guard. Is a mammogram pr pretty uncommon at that age? Yes. Mammograms are not even recommended until I think like 40 years old. I could be incorrect on that. So please don't hold me to it. <laughs> I don't want to spread any false, yeah. false information. But yeah, I would not have had a mammogram done if I hadn't gone to see my OBGYN and had them then recommend the mammogram. Because it's just not recommended for women my age. Mm -hmm. um, but I have to wonder if I had been getting mammograms as soon as I turned 30, yeah. would we have caught this even earlier than we did? Or would it have not even shown up at all at that point? What was it like going through treatment? Lots of imposter syndrome, which I had never knowingly experienced before. Mm -hmm. um, because going through treatment, I, I would walk into the treatment center and see no one that looked like me. So I almost felt guilty for parking in the cancer patients parking spots because I was like, well, yeah, I have cancer, but I don't look like everyone else who's getting treatment. So it was really jarring to walk into the treatment center and find myself surrounded by postmenopausal women who had lived so much more life than me already. And I would look around and think, oh my God, like I just, one of these things does not belong here, even though I, I did, yeah. unfortunately. Um, they may not be the same exact demographic as me, but it doesn't change that we're going through the same thing. So treatment was really eye-opening for imposter syndrome and kind of undoing those stances that I had in my head of what I assumed to be true, like cancer is for older women or mm -hmm. breast cancer is for older women. Um, and relearning that that is in fact, not a truth was really interesting. I can only imagine walking into that office for the first time and then having to self-identify that, yes, I have it. Yes. I'm one of them or one of yeah. or part of the community that must've been, uh, I can't even find the words to describe that feeling, what that must have been like. It, it's bizarre. And something else I did that really made me feel different from everyone else in the treatment center was I did cold capping, which helped retain at least like 60% of my hair, which for me was a game changer because I still could recognize bits of myself in the mirror. Um, but going in for treatment, First of all, I'm this young woman. And second of all, I'm going into chemotherapy 
with long, full hair that's not a wig. So mm-hmm. even then, I would look around and say, oh my gosh, like I, I look so different from everyone else here. Like, do people think that I'm lost or that I need directions to go to a different part of the hospital? Um, so it was, yeah, lots of imposter syndrome and reminding myself, no, like this is me, whether I want it to be my situation or not. I'm going through the same exact thing as these women who have bald heads or who are 40 years older than me. So it was definitely a bizarre experience. Is that part of the treatment? Is that what happens? Clearly shows how much I know about the entire concept that you lose your hair or is it advised to remove your hair for the treatment? Well, for chemotherapy, chemotherapy is what, you know, often makes your hair fall out Mm. and you can really go about it so many different ways. You can shave your head to start so that you don't have to experience clumps of hair just coming out, Mm. falling all over the floor of your house or in the shower, because that experience can be really traumatizing. Um, So you can preemptively shave your head and power to anyone who makes that choice. Like they have my utmost respect because I I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it. I was desperate to hang on to this physical identity. Um, I I was not willing and ready to part with it. So you can either do that or you can just wait and see what happens as you're going through chemotherapy. Maybe, maybe all of your hair will just fall out one day and you'll have to sweep it up. Maybe it won't all fall out. Just don't know for certain, or you can try cold capping, which is no guarantee to save your hair, but it's, it's pretty effective and it's kind of a gamble. And if you're willing to take on that gamble, then it's an option. What does your hair mean to you? It, I wish this were not true, but it (laughs) is a huge part of my identity. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I'm ever going to be in a place where I'm comfortable divorcing myself from that identity. I mean, ever since I was a baby, like my parents have always told me this story of um, one of the nurses in the labor and delivery room, carrying me a fresh newborn baby and saying, I'm going to take this one home. She has red hair. So like, I mean, even before my first memories, having my red hair was something that made me special and unique and made a nurse gravitate towards me. So, I mean, that, that association has carried on through my entire life of my red hair, making me unique and kind of bringing um, a different kind of value to myself. And again, I wish that I wasn't so attached to like this physical attribute because it's just hair. It really is. But it's been such a big part of my identity and what I tell myself makes me special or different from other people. I'm the same way. I don't think I'll be able to let go of my hair. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, even as a blonde and I'm assuming that you're a natural blonde, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure you get compliments on it. And it's one of those things that you're just lucky to be born with something so unique. And having it taken away from you, you're like, wait, but I was born with this. It's just part of me. Yeah, it's a part of my identity. I've realized that I don't really have to work for. I mean, yes, I have to keep it, you know, in the, I have to get a cut and all these other things. But at the same time, it's just something that naturally grows. And yeah. it's. I, I feel like, for, I don't know how it is for you, but for me, it's it's good to be able to have that and not have to constantly worry about, okay, is it going to grow? Is it not? Where is it going to come from? It just happens. 
Like yeah. it's just one, it's just the process that takes place of its own. It's, it's a natural thing that I don't really have to put too much thought into. Yes, I agree. And for me, there was an additional layer of my identity with my hair. Um, whenever I had my son, who's now three years old, and ever since I birthed him, like you could see clear as day that he is a redhead. And so my hair now attaches me to my son in a unique way where we walk everywhere and everyone knows that's her baby and that's his mama. So when I got my cancer diagnosis and I found out that I was going to go through chemotherapy, the thought of losing this physical representation that ties me to my son was something I could not even wrap my head around. Um, and I never wanted to have to explain to him why mommy doesn't have red hair like him anymore. Like, where did mommy's hair go? And I didn't want to put that on myself or him because I just was not in a place to explain it or be comfortable with it. So that was another layer of the hair identity that I was not expecting until it was threatened to be taken away, if that makes sense. Mm. Do you believe everything happens for a reason? Or what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I would like to think that everything happens for a reason, but there are some things in life, and I'm not even talking about cancer here. There are just some things that happen in the world that I cannot wrap my head around and make any sense of. Um, for example, I mean, it was hard enough for me to have cancer at 31 years old, but when then when I look at like kids with cancer, I'm like, what, what is the reason for that? That is something yeah. that I cannot wrap mm -hmm. my head around. Would I like to believe that everything happens for a reason? Of course, because that gives me hope that there will be a brighter side after the hurdle is crossed. But I don't know if I'm to that place yet where I always can find that higher purpose. I, I want to get there, but I don't know if I can see that yet. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? I think, you know, I, I think to a degree, yes, but I, I think there's a caveat to it. And I think everything happens for a reason if you choose to give it a reason. Like if I'm not able to find the reason, then I, I'm in the same exact boat as you are. I think I have a harder time understanding whether or not it's true. Same exact example that you described or certain wars or many other situations that happen in today's day, day and age that I, I just uh, have a harder time finding what the reason could be or what could the deeper meaning be behind all of it. I think if anything, what I've ultimately learned is in my opinion, I think everything happens for a reason as long as I choose to give it a reason is the only way that I could really process it. That's true. That's, that's a good perspective of try, if, if you're able to give it a reason, mm -hmm. that's maybe an easier way to cope and accept whatever the event is. Um, but whenever someone says like, oh, everything happens for a reason, I struggle with perceiving it as being dismissive to the struggle taking place and whoever it is, you know, in the trenches of that struggle, um, you know, like a war, for example, it's easy for me to sit back and say, well, everything happens for a reason. Well, yeah. I'm not the one in a war zone. So you know, how could I possibly say that when you know, 
that's not a reason for me to give to the people who are experiencing such a tragedy. Yeah, I'm the same exact way. I have a very, I have a harder time processing those circumstances. A because I don't have a reference point. I don't know what it's like to be in many of the people's shoes, many of the journeys that people go through. So it's it's a little bit more of a challenge. Going back to kind of your story and everything that you've done or everything that you're doing right now, what are some best ways that people can connect with you? What do you have coming up that people can be a part of and can learn more about who you are and what you're doing? My my Instagram is a really fun place. And um, I, I do share content related to cancer, but I promise it is not going to be a deep, dark rabbit hole. Because I know when I was newly diagnosed and I was exploring like what's out there on the interweb for young people with breast cancer, it was a dark place. My Instagram is a place where we talk about it and we address it and we're honest about it, but it can also look pretty and have humor in it. So my Instagram, you can find me at Martha the C word and C is for cancer survivor, of course, or cookies if you're cookie monster. Um, <laughs> That's a really fun place to connect with me. I'm also on YouTube at Martha the C word. Let's see what else I'm, I'm working on a really fun book right now. It's, it details my journey, but it's also very much a real time account of me growing my platform and what that actually looks like step-by-step and what I see the results of different actions being. So stay tuned for a book. And this is probably the first time you've ever heard this on your podcast. Um, If it's not, you have to let me know. But (laughs) my dad needs a kidney, everyone. Um, My dad is one of my biggest supporters and he needs a kidney transplant. So if anyone out there is interested in being a living organ donor, contact me through Instagram at Martha the C word. Um, I think I have a website written down www.uchealthlivingdonor.org. That's a great place to start too. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't. That was that is <laughs> the first time. My dad's kidney <laughs> journey into this. Yeah. yeah that is 100 yeah. the first time I've ever heard anything like that. But hey, people need support in different so. ways, their lives in different ways, and and it's uh, I don't yeah, think and you a never know who's listening. Absolutely. And you never know who is going to listen to this. Someone might have just heard that and say, oh my God, I've been wondering if I could do that for someone. So if I don't ask, no one will ever say yes. True. Martha, I appreciate you for being a part of this, for sharing everything that you did. And I think more importantly, your transparency in regard to your journey, because I know for many people who have had different forms of cancer, it's not the most uh, pleasant of conversations that they've ever had, at least based on what they told me. So I just appreciate the fact that you were able to come in and be so candid about everything that you've been through. I really appreciate that. And thank you for the kind words. And thank you for having me on your platform. I I seriously appreciate it so much um, because I find that talk about cancer, like you said, it's a dark place. It's uncomfortable. It's not pleasant to talk about. And so I find that a lot of the conversations about cancer stay kind of surface level or they're filled with cliches of it doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. And so I think it's really important to dive into these more complex cerebral discussions about 
what is actually going on, you know, mm-hmm. before, during, and after something traumatic like cancer. So thank you for, you know, kind of getting into the depth of it with me and getting past that surface level, you know, cliched response that a lot of people settle into when they're talking about cancer. So thank you for that. No, thank you. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.